What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in to another brand new episode of Sports Court. And as always, I'd like to thank you for listening, however and wherever you may be listening, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may be listening to my voice right now. Greatly appreciate you for joining us for yet another edition of Sports Court on a Monday Memorial Day for those of us that lives here in the United States. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hopefully you're having a great start to your Monday And hopefully for those of us, once again, that are in the United States, you're continuing to have an amazing extended weekend due in large part to the Memorial Day holiday. And I want to take this opportunity to extend my thanks to each and every person out there that happens to be members of the armed forces and those that have lost their lives in the act of serving our country to defend the freedoms that we hold so dearly. So once again, to those out there that are in the service and those that have lost their lives protecting this country. Thank you so much for what you've done and your service. Let me go ahead and set today's show up for you. I have opening thoughts coming up momentarily. And these opening thoughts today are courtesy of Scottie Pippen. I'll tell you something. I'll get into that in a minute. I was about to get ready and spill everything I wanted to say, but I'll tell you that in a minute. So opening thoughts momentarily. I'm also going to get into what we saw on Saturday night in Boston in Miami rather for game six of the Eastern conference final. And I will also preview game number seven, which is going to take place tonight. I also am going to talk about Deandre Hopkins being released by the Arizona Cardinals on Friday and more news on top of that. No Q and a today, but unpopular opinions makes its dramatic return to sports court today. I'm going to get into that a little bit later. And of course, at the conclusion of today's episode, I will have a final verdict. One final verdict today that I think you're going to enjoy very thoroughly. So stay tuned towards the end of the episode as I give you my final verdict for this Memorial Day. Let's go ahead and dive into the show. I told you that opening thoughts today are courtesy of one Scottie Pippen. So let me go ahead and set this up for you. So on yesterday and Saturday, I was trying to find things that I could use to talk about during today's episode that you're hearing right now. And one of the hardest shows that I have to prep for 
happens to be the Monday show. Because a lot of things happen over the course of the weekend that you try to fit into this podcast. And there are certain stories that you want to talk about, but you know that to the larger audience, they wouldn't have an effect on. That story wouldn't affect the larger audience compared to the group of people that it's intended for. Like for an example, I told you about the French Open. I previewed that. I told you who's my favorites on both the men and women's side of the draw respectively. And I told you one name to watch out for that's a top seed that can exit early. If you remember this episode, I told you this. One of the top names that you need to watch out for who may lose early, Felix Oje Aliassime. And guess what happened this morning? Felix Oje Aliassime, who came into the French Open as the 10th seed, lost to Fabio Funini. And to add insult to injury, Fabio Funini defeated Felix Oje Aliassime in straight sets. Now, there's talk about Felix dealing with some kind of injury. He pulled out of, I think he was supposed to have played in Geneva, and he pulled out of that tournament because he was dealing with some kind of injury. And I don't want to say that I was, or let me rephrase, I don't want to sit here and act like I'm gloating because I got that right, because obviously no one likes to root against a player and hope that they get injured. That's not what I'm saying. But I also knew that there was going to be somebody in the men's side and the women's side that was going to flame out early. Felix happened to do it on the men's side and Maria Sakurai happened to do it on the women's side. So now we sit here and we ask ourselves the question, what happens now? You still have the bulk of your top seeds remaining on both sides. So Felix and Maria Sakurai happen to be victims of what happens every single year at every single major. A top seed flames out because they don't bring their A game when they need to the most. And a lot of people take for granted a lot the early rounds are where the top players can get exposed. How many top players have you seen in major tennis tournaments in the early rounds have to go five sets? Because they took their opponent And just basically said, look, I know I can beat this guy. Or on the women's side, I know I can beat her. She's not better than me. And what happens a lot of times is that you don't take your opponent seriously enough to really look at them as a viable threat to you. And you just basically come into that max match with a lackadaisical attitude. And ultimately, they push you to the brink five sets. Or sometimes they do it in three sets or four sets. And next thing you know, you're packing your bags. You're getting ready to get on a plane. And you're going back home to train for the next event. And that happened to Felix Oje Aliassime and to Maria Sakurai over the course of the weekend. Now, I said all that to say this. Let me get into what my actual opening thoughts are today. So, Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen's been on a tear. And if you haven't been paying attention, Scottie Pippen has been pissed off about this Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls thing ever since the last dance came out back in 2020. Now, Scottie has been very upset because he felt like throughout the course of that 10-part documentary that he wasn't portrayed in a very positive light. And at every single turn that Scottie Pippen has had since that documentary has come out, he has used that documentary to add fuel to the fire as to why Michael Jordan is not the greatest player of all time. So last week, Scottie Pippen was on the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. And he was talking about, or he was asked rather, his opinion or what is his take about the GOAT debate. And for those of you that may not have been around at the start of Sports Court, or for those of you that may not have been with me throughout the long haul of this podcast up to this point, 
In our 100th episode, I had a very in-depth conversation towards the end in the final verdict about how I view the GOAT debate in any sport, not just basketball, not just football, but hockey, tennis, etc. And basically, what I've always said about the GOAT debate is that you cannot have a realistic debate with anybody about the GOAT because if you feel that player A is the GOAT, somebody's always going to renege on that and say this is why player B is the GOAT. And vice versa, it goes back and forth until the end of time. You can never really change someone's opinion as to how they feel about the GOAT, who the GOAT may be. Now, Scotty, on the other hand, at one point in time, Scotty Pippen was actually in the camp of believing that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. And now he switched his tune, and now LeBron James is the GOAT. And Scotty went on this rant, if you want to call it that, on the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast about. If we want to look at this from a statistical standpoint, LeBron James is the greatest player to ever play in the NBA. And this was the quote that caught a lot of people off guard. And this was the quote that actually got me to pick this to be my opening thoughts for today. And I quote, I've seen Michael Jordan play before I came to play with the Bulls. He was a horrible player. He was horrible to play with. He was all one on one. He was shooting bad shots. And all of a sudden we become a team. And we start winning End the quote. Now, Scotty, let me just say this, because, see, I think what has happened to Scotty Pippen is that somewhere deep off in his mind, Scotty Pippen has this sincere belief that it was him and him alone that made Michael Jordan become the man that he's become for a lot of fans today. Before Scotty Pippen came to Chicago, From 1984 to 1986, this was Michael Jordan's stat line for those three seasons. Michael Jordan was averaging nearly 32 points a game, nearly six rebounds, and five assists. That was Michael Jordan's stat line in those three seasons before Scottie Pippen became a Chicago Bull. Now, let's just go ahead and get everything off the table because I feel like in order to have a more open conversation about this, I have to be transparent. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in those three seasons either missed the playoffs or they were bounced early on. So let's just go ahead and get that off the table. Now, Scotty has a little bit of validity if you want to talk about where the Chicago Bulls were as it pertained to getting to the playoffs. But here's the thing. Michael Jordan coming into the NBA was hyped up to be the next big prodigy to come into the league. And one of the debates that we always have about players that are hyped up coming out of college into the NBA is can they live up to the hype? And then when you have someone like a Jordan that lived up to the hype, you got people like Scottie Pippen coming out saying that he was a horrible player. Now, you have to ask yourself, horrible how? Because that's the discussion that you have to have amongst yourself. How was Michael horrible? Was it the fact that the Bulls, Of course, it's easy to say that now because we have 2020 hindsight and we've seen how great the Chicago Bulls were when Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen actually got together. And Doug Collins was fired as head coach and Phil Jackson was brought in. And as the old folks say, the rest was history. But Scottie, let me tell you something. If Jordan was horrible, if he was a horrible player and he was averaging nearly 32 points a game, then what does that make you? Because Scottie Pippen throughout the course of his career never averaged 32 points a game. As a matter of fact, the most points that Scottie averaged during his career was 
22 points during the 93-94 season. Coincidentally, that was one of the two seasons in which Michael Jordan decided to step away to play baseball. And coincidentally, those were also the two seasons in which the Chicago Bulls did not make it to the NBA Finals. So you tell me, Scotty, the hell are you talking about, man? Now, of course, you know how I feel about interviews and you know how I feel about opinions. Everybody, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. That's one of the things that we're entitled to in this country is our right to say what we want. But sometimes some people get up here and they say some of the most blasphemous BS and think that people are supposed to validate their point for what? Scotty, you're way off with this. I understand that you may be pissed off about the way that you were portrayed during that last dance documentary. But slowly but surely, you, Phil, and some of the rest of those guys on those 90s Bulls teams are slowly but surely starting to erase the fond memories that sports fans had of that dynasty. Because you guys post-dynasty are starting to go out here and act like damn fools. And I don't use that term lightly because calling somebody a fool is the equivalent of calling somebody a slur. Okay? That's just how I feel about it. But Scotty, Scotty, listen. I understand that the bridge between you and Michael Jordan has been forever demolished. Forever demolished. Charles Oakley, who's a great friend of both of those guys, pretty much came out and said that recently. He said that the bridge between Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen can never be repaired. Because once you cross Michael Jordan, there is no coming back. Scotty, you have six NBA championships. You tried to do it on your own by leaving Chicago to go to Houston, to go to Portland. And it just wasn't the same like it was when you were paired with a lot of people's opinion, the greatest player to ever walk onto an NBA court. And yet, instead of enjoying the perks of being on one of those Chicago Bulls teams from the 1990s, you continue to tarnish not only the legacy of that dynasty, but you continue to tarnish your legacy too by coming out here saying things like this. Now we can also look at this a little bit deeper and we can also talk about that there may be a little personal things attached to this too. A little personal adaptations attached to this. Because Michael Jordan's son is dating Larsa Pippen, who happens to be Scotty's ex-wife. Now, if Scotty is going after Mike because of that, then, hey, that has to be some of the most pettiest stuff I think I've ever heard in my life. Six rings, you're in the Hall of Fame, you had an opportunity to play on the Dream Team, and yet you continue to tarnish this because of what? Because of the way that you were portrayed in a damn documentary? Scotty, come on. I know, what? And, and the thing about it, and sorry that I'm going all over the place with this, because this actually pisses me off. A lot of people were joking over the weekend about, we really need to check and make sure that Scotty Pippen is okay mentally. I don't think it's that serious, but I think that Scottie Pippen has 
for years now, tried to further remove himself away from the legacy of Michael Jordan and the legacy of the Chicago Bulls. One minute, Jordan's to go. The next minute, LeBron's to go. Just because LeBron James became the all-time leading scorer in the history of that league, for a lot of people, that didn't change the GOAT debate. If anything, if you're a LeBron fan, it only made you believe that he was the GOAT even more. And if you're a Jordan fan, only thing you have to point to is the fact that LeBron is 4-6 and six in the NBA Finals, whereas Michael Jordan is 6-0. and oh. That's the reason why I refuse to partake in this GOAT debate. Because no matter how you spin it, no matter which side of the coin you decide to land on, there's always going to be someone who will try to emphatically disagree with you. So, Scotty, let's just calm down, man. Just calm down. I know that you and Mike never were going to be friends again. You felt like you weren't portrayed correctly in that docu-series, so it's sad to see that this is where arguably one of the greatest dynasties in sports has gone to. And now it adds a little bit more perspective to the reason as to why Michael Jordan doesn't do a lot of interviews. Because what is there to talk about? What happened then happened then. That was damn near 30 years ago. Why do we have to continue to rehash what happened back then? I heard a Sam one time, and I want to close with this before we get on to some of the more bigger stories from around the world of sports. I heard a saying one time, you can't focus on the future if your head is always stuck in the past. Scotty, whether he wants to admit it or not, he will be forever linked and tied to Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Can't change that. And it just so happened that when you guys played together, you accomplished great things. And by great things, you accomplished making it to six NBA Finals appearances. But this is where this is at now. And Scotty continues to derail their legacy because he's upset of the way that he was portrayed in a docuseries, man. Sucks to be Scotty right now, right? And those are my opening thoughts for today. All right, I want to get into this next before I talk about game six. So there is a lot of buzz coming out of Las Vegas right now. Not because of the gambling, not because of the strip, and not because of any potential boxing matches that may be taking place at the MGM Grand Arena. And not because the Las Vegas Golden Knights have allowed the Dallas Stars to come back and win two consecutive games which now puts them in a very interesting position tonight to where they have to win game six on the road in Dallas. And considering the fact that the stars are favorite to win that game tonight. So if you're the Vegas Golden Knights, you're in a very peculiar situation right now. You're almost in the same situation that the Miami Heat find themselves in right now, where you either choke away that three nothing lead and people start really wondering what the hell happened Or you close it out tonight and you go on to face the Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup final. But anyway, let me get back on point here. So a lot has been transpiring as it pertains to Jimmy G. So Jimmy Garoppolo signs with the Las Vegas Raiders back in March. 
And it was reported over the weekend that before everything was announced, before the press conference and all that good stuff, Jimmy Garoppolo failed his physical and had to undergo foot surgery due to an injury that he suffered back when he was still a member of the San Francisco 49ers. Now, the specifics of the contract included an $11.25 million signing bonus to go alongside of an $11.25 million base salary that would have kicked in this season. Now, because of the fact that Grilopolo had to have foot surgery and because that injury nagged him before he signed with the Raiders, he will not be entitled to receive that signing bonus. So basically, the only thing Jimmy G's getting this season is the base salary. And of course, coming from Mike Florio, Jimmy G won't receive any of his base salary until he passes a physical. Now, all I have to say about this is that you have to be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Now, trust and believe me, I'm not the biggest Derek Carr fan in the world. Because if you want to look at the Raiders situation objectively, Derek Carr wasn't getting this team anywhere fast. And we're also going to talk about Derek Carr coming up a little bit later in the show today as well. But at the same time, if you're the Raiders, this is what you get. You wanted to move off of Derek Carr so bad because you felt like he wasn't getting you where he needed to get the team to, only to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo because of what? His familiarity with Josh McDaniel's offensive scheme? And because of the fact that he's been to a Super Bowl and Derek Carr hasn't? Are those the reasons? Now you're dealing with a quarterback in Jimmy G who's always hurt. And when he does play, you have to wince at the possibility that he may get hurt. Now you could arguably say that the Raiders should have known that Jimmy G was dealing with a foot injury before they brought him in. And that's accurately the case which it should be because Jimmy G has had to dealt with his foot injury for a very long time it happened in week 13 against the Dolphins and for him to still be dealing with it and for him to just now have surgery it makes you wonder I don't know what to say about the Raiders I believe that they tried to throw you know what to the wall and see what could stick and Jimmy G was the only thing that stuck is the reason why they brought him in and now there's a possibility that if he doesn't pass his physical, they can release him and bring in somebody else. So this revolving door, this musical chairs approach that the Vegas Raiders are taking, I was about to say the Oakland Raiders, that the Vegas Raiders are taking as it pertains to filling the hole at the quarterback position Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It won't work out for him for long. You should have stuck with Derek Carr for one more year. If that was the route you were going to take, if you were going to get rid of Derek Carr just to bring in Jimmy G, then why should you have expected Raider fans to be excited about that? Raider fans have dealt with this mediocrity coming from their franchise for a long time now. And to bring in someone like Jimmy G, who not only deals with nagging injuries, various injuries, but also deals with his up and down play. So the Raiders, honestly, and if you're a Raider fan, I'm sorry to say this because I love the Raider fan base. It's just the Raiders front office is where I have the problem. They deserve everything that's coming their way. Because if they would have made better personnel decisions, going all the way back to Mayock and Gruton, we wouldn't have this problem. But this is exactly where you find yourself. You find yourself now in quarterback purgatory. Because you didn't get it right the first time. Whether that meant sticking with Derek Carr or whether that meant going out there trying to find somebody else that could have fit the role properly. All right. Game six of the Eastern Conference final took place on Saturday evening. 104 to 103 was the final. The Boston Celtics tonight can accomplish something that would be one of the biggest moments in the history of sports. Yes, I said it. If the Boston Celtics wins game seven tonight in their own building, that will arguably be one of the biggest, if not the biggest moment in the history of sports. 28 to three in the Super Bowl, step aside. David Tyree's catch in the Super Bowl, step aside. Anything else, step aside. Because the Boston Celtics are about to do something, if they can pull this off, that 149 other times has been attempted, but has never been completed. And now they're about to get ready and potentially shock the world tonight. Because they already shocked the world on Saturday night with the way in which they won game six. Now somebody said something And I laughed when I saw it. Somebody said that if you look at the Miami Heat and the shirts that they give out to the fans, white hot playoffs, and it took for a guy named Derek White on the other team to pretty much put the dagger in the Miami Heat's heart. And that's exactly what Derek White did. Now, one of the things I will have to say is that I have to give credit where credit is due. Although Miami lost this game Saturday night, they also fought back resiliently down the stretch. With about four minutes left in the fourth quarter, they were down by 10. And next thing you know, Jimmy Butler scores the Miami Heat's final 10 points and pretty much turned on what could have been the clutch moment if it wasn't for Derek White at the conclusion of the game. And yes, I believe he got the shot off before 
double zero showed up on the shot clock. I believe he did get the shot off. And in matter of fact, he actually did get the shot off. If you go back and look at the footage, it will really show you that that ball left Derek White's hand before the shot clock went off. Now, I think it's pretty fair to say that when you look at this series, both teams have had this up and down moment. From games one to three, the Miami Heat were flying high. From games four to six, the Boston Celtics have been flying high. Now, since all of the chips have been pushed to the table for tonight's game seven, the most important question and the question that is being asked amongst NBA fans throughout the country and throughout the world is who will win game seven tonight? Who will step up to the plate and take advantage of this opportunity? Now, if you look at the odds, depending on where you get your number from, the Boston Celtics are favored tonight by seven and a half. You can bet that number if you like, or you can take Miami plus seven and a half for obvious reasons. But let's get back to the question. Who wins game seven and why? If we look at what history has taught us, game sevens are where superstars step up and where their legacies are defined. Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum for years has admired Kobe Bryant, has even trained with Kobe Bryant, and even has this perception about himself that he's the next version of Kobe Bryant. Not trying to put words in his mouth, but that's kind of what you feel when you hear Jason Tatum talk about how he feels about the late, great Kobe Bryant. If you're Jason Tatum, if you thought game seven against Philly was important and career defining game seven tonight against Miami, when you guys were pinned against the wall down Oh three tonight is where Jason Tatum can make his name as one of the biggest performers in the playoffs. Now you're going to need some help from your friends. You're going to need help from Jalen Brown, you're going to need Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, and it wouldn't hurt for Derek White to at least contribute half of what he contributed in game six. And if you're the Heat, you're going to need some of those guys, some of those undrafted guys to step up. Caleb Martin, you're going to need him. Max Struess, you're going to need him once again. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Gabe Vincent. You're going to need your guys to step up. Because now you find yourself in a very peculiar spot. If the Miami Heat lose this game tonight, and if they squandered four opportunities to put away the Boston Celtics, a lot of people said it won't matter. Yes, the hell it will matter. At least to me it will. Because if you think about it, the Boston Celtics are a great team. And coming into this series, a lot of people thought that they should have been the definitive favorite to win this series, which they should have been, and they still are now, considering this big swing that we've seen in the past three games. But also, when you take a look at the Heat, and I told you about this a couple of days ago, I told you that nobody truly expected the Miami Heat to make it this far 
because honestly, nobody thought that they had the team capable of pulling off the upset against Milwaukee. And now they're here in the Eastern Conference Final. So all I'm saying is, is that when you look at this game in a nutshell, you're going to need your biggest performers to step up in the biggest moment on the biggest stage and arguably on the biggest night of some of these guys' career. Spolstra, he's going to need to step up tonight and do a great job coaching. Same can be said about Joe Mazzola. If you ask me who I believe can win this game, I'll say this. The team that comes out, gets the early lead, and they're not the team that's playing from behind, that will be the team that's going to use that confidence down the stretch. And I also told you about this pressure confidence meter that I have when gauging this series. One team has all the pressure. The other team has the confidence. Now, for one of the few times throughout the course of these playoffs, I think both teams have an equal amount of pressure and confidence. Now, if you listen to Spolstra and if you listen to Jimmy Butler talk, they're very confident that they can go up to TD Garden tonight and close this thing out. Because Jimmy Butler even guaranteed that they were going to close it out in game six, which we now know they didn't do. They almost did if it wasn't for Derek White at the end. But also, when you think about Miami and you think about the possibility that they may let this series slip away, it makes you feel a little bit differently about them. Because from games one to three, Everybody was talking about them potentially causing the Boston Celtics to reevaluate their roster in the offseason. I even did a Q&A a couple of episodes ago about what changes does the Boston Celtics need to make this upcoming offseason. That's just how badly the Miami Heat had taken apart and dismantled the second seed in the Eastern Conference, who happens to be the Celtics. Now we're asking ourselves, should they run this group back next year? Now that Joe Mazzola has a year of coaching experience under his belt as a head coach. So if we're looking at this and to bring this point home before we move on. If you're Miami. As a team, you have the confidence that is needed to go into a hostile environment to pull off the biggest upset in arguably sports history. But you also have that pressure on your back as well, because if you don't go in there and get that job done, a lot of people will be looking at this as one of the biggest choke jobs in the history of sports. Flip side, let's go to Boston. If you're Boston, you have the confidence because you've just won the past three games after being down 0-3. And now your stars are stepping up in big ways. But you also have pressure, because if you force this series to go all the way to seven games, and you can't get it done at home, then you know that that's going to be the talk of the sports media world tomorrow. And I'll say this. If there is one group of people that have been watching this series closely and intensely, it has to be the Western Conference champion, Denver Nuggets. Because the Nuggets, 
the Nugs are looking at this series and they're saying to themselves, regardless of who we have to play June 1st, both of these teams are going to be tired and they're going to be exhausted by the time they have to come out here to Denver to face us in game one of the finals. And also, I saw this conversation being had amongst people this weekend on different chats and what have you. There was a conversation that has been had about, will the Denver Nuggets allow the amount of time that they've been off to cause them to come out in game one and not really live up to the billing of them playing in the NBA Finals? And to myself, I was saying, the Denver Nuggets are going to come out and they're going to play strong in game one because they've had time off and opponents haven't really fared well up there in Denver with that altitude and it's hard to breathe. So the Nugs, to me, they should be solid favorites going into game one and game two since both of those games are going to be on their home floor. And regardless of who is going to be that's going to face them, whether it is Miami or Boston, I think we can all universally and bilaterally agree that this has been the best playoff series so far in these NBA playoffs. And I will say this about Game 7 tonight. If you're someone like myself who's going to be watching Game 7, all I hope for is that this Game 7 doesn't turn out like the last Game 7 that Boston was a part of when they just dismantled Philly from start to finish and that game wasn't even close. So all I hope for is a very close competitive down-to-the-wire Game 7 between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics tonight. And we'll see what happens, and we will see who will join the Denver Nuggets in the 2023 NBA Finals. All right, let's move on. So I told you about this at the top of the show today. DeAndre Hopkins was released Friday by the Arizona Cardinals. He was released after it was reported that the Cardinals could not find a trade partner to take on DeAndre Hopkins' contract. And according to Dan Graziano of ESPN, it was DeAndre Hopkins' $19.45 million base salary for 2023 that caused a lot of teams to become skeptical about bringing him in. The Patriots tried to inquire about DeAndre Hopkins. There were several other teams that were in the market for DeAndre Hopkins, but unfortunately his contract and his salary for this season was why a lot of teams decided to back away. So what do we make of this news that DeAndre Hopkins is no longer an Arizona Cardinal? For me, it goes to show that no one that comes out to Arizona has had any kind of fun playing for Kyler Murray or playing with Kyler Murray. And there was just something about the dynamic of Kyler Murray throwing the football to DeAndre Hopkins that it just didn't feel right. Because when D-Hop was in Houston, especially those last few years he was in Houston when the quarterback was Deshaun Watson, it felt like that they had the chemistry to go out there and attack whatever kind of defense was thrown their way week in and week out. But it didn't feel like that same dynamic was there when Kyler Murray became DeAndre Hopkins' quarterback. And to throw a little bit more salt on the wound, a few weeks ago, DeAndre Hopkins came out with a quote saying that he wants to join a team where the quarterback is committed to playing. 
I'm pretty sure you know exactly which quote I'm talking about. I paraphrased that quote badly, by the way, too. I should have wrote it down. So DeAndre Hopkins was also on the I Am Athlete podcast. And when he was asked about the quarterbacks he would like to play with, he said, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Justin Herbert. So basically, when you're thinking about D-Hop, and you're thinking about his motivations this late into his career, I think money is a big thing. What team can pay him what he's looking for financially? Which teams are in contingency mode right now to where they're not in a rebuild that they can compete for a Super Bowl as we currently speak? And D-Hop is looking for a good quarterback. Kyler wasn't it. And things were done in Houston that were out of his control by Bill O'Brien at that time when he was the de facto GM and head coach. So D-Hop is looking for somewhere that can pay him good, where they have a good quarterback, and where he has the opportunity to compete for a Super Bowl. That's basically his motivations at this point in his career. Now, somebody said something, and it caught my attention. Somebody said Detroit would be a very viable option for D-Hop. They have the money. Jared Goff last season stepped back into his own as a quarterback. Basically shocked a lot of people who thought that those last few seasons he was with the Rams, he was the reason why they weren't winning. He goes to Detroit, and next thing you know, it's like his game has just be has been reinvigorated. And finally, Jamison Williams is going to miss the first six games of the season due to violating the league's gambling policy. So with all of those things, and to add a little bit more to my point, the NFC is so wide open right now that anybody could potentially challenge Philly and San Francisco for the top spot in that conference. Detroit is also getting a lot of exposure this year. They have a game on opening night against the Chiefs. They have a few primetime games in there. And Dan Campbell is going to make sure that those guys go out there and fight and compete hard every single week while he's the head coach. But the thing about it is that DeAndre Hopkins did not list Jared Goff as a quarterback that he would like to play for. That's where the problem comes in. If you're D-Hop, I would want to play anywhere else that doesn't have Kyler Murray. Because the Cardinals paid Kyler Murray like he's a franchise quarterback, but yet there have been more problems that have come out about Kyler Murray than solutions. And it doesn't seem like, especially when you're listening to former teammates and current teammates, it doesn't seem like he's heavily invested into helping the team win, at least right now in the short term. D-Hop being released is arguably the biggest thing to come out of Arizona since Jonathan Gannon was hired because they didn't really have a draft that blowed you away. Now, they filled some needs, but their draft wasn't one of the top 10 drafts in the 2023 cycle. And plus, when you take a look at what DeAndre Hopkins has done since he's been a member of the Cards, in 2021, he only played in 10 games. He tore his MCL. And then in 2022, he only played in nine games because he had to serve the six-game suspension for violating the league's performance enhancement policy. And he missed two games with a knee injury. He hasn't recorded double-digit touchdowns since 2018, and he hasn't recorded 1,000 yards receiving since 2020, which was his first season 
as a member of the cards. And it feels like when you look at DeAndre Hopkins, the last time he and Kyler Murray to me had a very like special moment was the Hale Murray play in 2020 against the Buffalo Bills. From there, it just felt like they were coexisting out there in Arizona. So now that he's been released, he has the choice to go anywhere he likes. And hopefully he chooses somewhere where he can get his money, play with a good quarterback, and still have a chance to go out and win a Super Bowl. Because to me, and this is my own opinion, and this should have been unpopular opinions, but for me, DeAndre Hopkins is a Hall of Famer. Now, whether you want to argue about is he a first ballot Hall of Famer or a second ballot, whatever, nobody's refuting the fact that DeAndre Hopkins is a Hall of Famer because he is. Since he entered the league in 2012, only Julio Jones has more receiving yards than DeAndre Hopkins. So just put that into perspective. So we'll see where he ends up landing now that he's been released by the Cardinals. And the Cardinals also, this is according to ESPN as well, the Cardinals will take on a dead cap hit of $22.6 million by releasing DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know what's going on out there in Arizona. I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. Because it doesn't feel like... Now, of course we can say that they're in rebuild mode. Because that's arguably where they're at. But it doesn't feel as though they're in a very urgent mode of trying to compete. And that should be very problematic for those of you out there that happens to be Cardinals fans. Because they just don't seem to be in an urgent mode of trying to win. You brought Kyler and signed him because you thought that he was a franchise quarterback. And now that seems to be a very big swing and a miss. No pun intended since he plays baseball too, but just doesn't feel like they're in any kind of urgent mode to win now. With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let me stick with the NFL. I'm going to do this out of order. I usually don't go out of order when it pertains to this show, but let's go ahead and do this out of order. I have key week eight games for you. And I have a lot of games for week eight. So let me go ahead and get started by giving you my first game on the slate. I have the Patriots traveling down to Miami to take on the Dolphins. I like what the Dolphins have done this offseason. Once again, the question that looms over this team is can can Tua stay healthy? And for the Patriots, by week eight, we should know 
what this Patriots offense is going to be now that Bill Bill O'Brien is calling the plays. And if and if Mac Jones has taken that next level and that next step in his career, we should know all of that by week eight. Next, I have the Jaguars traveling up to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. For a lot of people, the Steelers are not going to be heavy favorites to do anything noteworthy in the AFC North. But as long as Mike Tomlin is still the head coach and as long as they have a great defense, everything else will fall into place. And if you're Jacksonville, you went to the playoffs last season, almost knocked off the Kansas City Chiefs. So a lot of eyes are going to be on you this season to see what you can do in year number two under head coach Doug Peterson. Should be a great game up there in the Steel City. And we're also going to talk about Pittsburgh a little bit later in Unpopular Opinions. So just let your brain marinate on what that may mean. Next, I have a all-New York rivalry right here. Jets at Giants. And realistically, it's just a home game for both teams. It just so happens that the field will be painted in Giants blue. But both of these teams share MetLife Stadium, so it's not really a home or an away game for either team. This is just like a neutral site game, honestly. But both of these teams have made substantial upgrades both offensively and defensively. So that should be a very great game in week number eight. Houston goes on the road to Charlotte to take on the Carolina Panthers. The only reason why this game is noteworthy to me is because the number one and number two overall picks in the 2023 draft will square off. C.J. Stroud for Houston, Bryce Young for Carolina. There's enough said right there. The Rams travel to Arlington to take on the Cowboys. It's going to be interesting to see where the Rams are going with this rebuild thing. They're in a semi-rebuild, but they still have players on the roster that can compete at a high level. And if you're the Cowboys, if you're the Cowboys, everybody's expecting you guys to do great things. You are, you're even expecting the Cowboys to do great things if you're a Cowboy fan. I have the Chiefs going on the road to mile high to take on the Broncos. This will be a repeat of what we will see in week number six. Now, Andy Reid and company, they've had their way in the AFC West for a very long time. And when you look at the Broncos and you have Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, what can that duo do against the duo of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid? I'm waiting for that one. Next up, I have the Bengals traveling out to the Bay Area to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Super Bowl preview, I believe. I'm not saying that that's my Super Bowl prediction because I'm going to wait and give you that in September before the season gets started. But just circle that on your NFL calendar as a potential Super Bowl preview. Both of those teams are great. Both of those teams have great quarterback play. If you believe that Brock Purdy is going to translate what he did last season into this season, or if he's even going to be the starter at that point, because Trey Lance is still there. You brought in Sam Donald. So the quarterback situation is the only real thing that looms over the San Francisco 49ers. Hopefully they get that figured out before the season gets on the way. I have the Bears traveling to SoFi to take on the Chargers. Honestly, the only reason why I put this game down is because 
we know that the Chargers are a great team. And we know that Chicago wants to see great things out of Justin Fields and his revamped offense. So when you're going up against a Brandon Staley-led defense and you are a great offensive team or you're a good offensive team like the Bears happens to be or they hope to be, anything can happen there. And finally, I have the Raiders going up to Detroit to take on the Lions. Detroit is getting a lot of love in prime time. Can they build on that to show people that they're not still the same team that always finishes fourth in the NFC North? A lot of people want to see can that Detroit Lions team take the next step. And I believe that if they go into this game on Monday night against the Raiders and beat the Raiders, the sky's the limit for that team. And those were my week eight games to watch for or week eight key games, whichever one you want to call it. I believe that we're going to have a very fun week in week number eight. And also, I want to talk about the Cowboys since I did put them on my key week eight games to watch for. So Dak Prescott came out last week and basically said that he enjoys having Mike McCarthy call the plays. So if you've not been kept up to date about that situation, Kellen Moore was fired, ironically, during the NFC Championship game. And a few days after that, he was hired by the Los Angeles Chargers to become their offensive coordinator after they decided to part ways with Michael Lombardi. Now, what has been so funny is that you hear reports coming out of Dallas or out of Frisco or Oxnard where they practice that the Cowboys are having so much more fun with Mike McCarthy calling the plays as compared to Kellen Moore. And I, yes, I will come to Kellen Moore's defense. Because when the Dallas Cowboys were putting up all of those history-making offensive stats and Dak Prescott was playing out of his mind, nobody criticized Kellen Moore and his play calling. But when you get to the divisional game against the Cowboys and that offense seems to sputter, now everybody wants to criticize Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore is a good OC. And who knows, now that he's out there with the Chargers, Maybe Justin Herbert can take that next step in his career. So, no, I don't really agree with the fact of Dak Prescott saying that it's more fun to have Mike McCarthy call the plays than Kellen Moore. Of course, Mike McCarthy has been calling plays for forever. So, of course, he knows what he's doing. I mean, just think about this. Just let this sink in. Mike McCarthy called plays for Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. That's all you need to know right there. One guy is already in the Hall of Fame, and the other one, when he retires, he's going to go in himself. So it's not really that hard to call plays for two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Now, Dak, the only realistic thing I can say about you is you better hope you get there. While you're talking about it's fun to have Mike McCarthy call the plays, and you guys were the reason why Kellen Moore got fired. Because you guys weren't doing your job on the field. And to be perfectly honest with you, hell, I thought it was Mike McCarthy calling the plays for a little while there. Because if you've ever paid attention to Mike McCarthy on the sidelines, you've ever paid attention to that big jumbo-sized play sheet that he has where he has the the three the three clicks in it or the three hole things that you have. It's like when you open a three-ring binder and you have the rings in there. He has the three rings on the side of the play sheet and it's folded up and it looks like 
a big burrito, whatever you want to call it. That looks like Mike McCarthy's play sheet. I Hell, I thought he was calling the plays. Or at least I thought that he and Kellen Moore consulted each other on which play should be called next. What missed me with that bullshit that you're having more fun now that Mike McCarthy's calling the plays? Because we'll have to wait and see what happens when the regular season gets here to see if you guys have made any substantial upgrades in the offseason. So the Milwaukee Bucks have a new head coach. It's not Nick Nurse. It's not Doc Rivers. It's not Monty Williams. Adrian Griffin will become the Bucks' new head coach. This news broke over the weekend, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. The Bucks are finalizing a deal with Adrian Griffin so that he can become the team's next head coach. If you listen to this podcast after Mike Boonholzer was fired after they lost to the Miami Heat, then you would know how I feel about this. But for those of you that may be new, once again, welcome. And if you didn't hear my opinion, I'm going to briefly give you a summation as to what I said about that move. The thing is, when you think about Mike Boonholzer when he was fired, Mike Boonholzer was a good coach. Led the Milwaukee Bucks to their first championship in over 50 years and was coach of the year. The problem that I had with the Milwaukee Bucks when they decided to fire Boonehoser was that you did it based on how you felt in that moment if you were the Bucks front office. You didn't take a look at his whole body of work before you fired him. You just said, we were the one seed, we lost to an eight seed, so he has to go. And I told you that's exactly what happens when you have expectations placed on you that you cannot live up to. Because when the Bucks won the championship back in 2021, everybody in that Milwaukee area expected that to be the norm. Every single year, we're supposed to be either in the conference finals or we're supposed to be playing for the NBA finals. And that's sometimes not how reality works. So the Milwaukee Bucks front office decided to part ways with Budenholzer, and now they're bringing in Adrian Griffin to succeed him. And I even told you after it was announced that they were letting him go, there were reports out there that the Bucks would not consult any of their players about head coaching decisions. And yet, it, lo and behold, I told you that Giannis had to be kept in the loop about something. And according to Woj of ESPN, or this was Shams. Yeah, this was Shams. No, this was Chris Haynes. I apologize. You know it's bad when you can't read your own handwriting, right? And I told you that this guy, that guys, this is unfiltered, unedited talk. So if this feels like I'm rambling, you're in the right place. So according to Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report, Giannis was the one that vouched for Adrian Griffin to take the job. So, so much for the Bucks will not be listening to players' opinions as it pertains to who they're going to bring in as the head coach. Because we do realize that Giannis is the piece that keeps this train moving, right? And if Giannis wants a certain guy to step in to be his next head coach, nine times out of ten, Giannis is going to get his wish. So, Adrian Griffin has been around for a while. 
He played nine seasons in the NBA, and he began his coaching career with the Milwaukee Bucks during the 2008-2009 campaign. So everything is in place. You have a superstar in Giannis. You have a great team around them, although they're going to have to make some decisions in the offseason. And the Eastern Conference is still anybody's conference to win. Considering the fact that we don't know what's going to happen in Philly, and Boston potentially, by the time the summer concludes, Boston, if they hold on tonight, and if they beat the Nugs in the NBA Finals, they may be the NBA champions. So we're going to see what happens in the Eastern Conference. But if you're Adrian Griffin, and you're going to Milwaukee, that's the perfect situation for you. Because this is not a rebuilding team that you're going to. This is a team that ultimately could not beat an eight seed as a one seed. So everything's in place for them to still be great. The only thing, and I did say this, the next guy that steps into this role as Milwaukee Bucks head coach, he is going to have to either make it to the NBA Finals or he's going to have to win multiple championships. Because if you fired Budenholzer because he wasn't getting the job done and yet they were still high seeds in the Eastern Conference playoffs, then the next guy is going to have to come in and be equally better. So Adrian Griffin has a tall task in front of him because the Bucks are going to have to have the same level of success under him that they had under Budenholzer. So that is one job that has been filled. We're still waiting on Philly to fill theirs, Toronto to fill theirs, Phoenix, and who knows? What else may come over? I think Detroit, I think their head coaching job is still open. Or did they hire the guy from the college level to come in at Detroit? I think that that's how that happened. But once again, congratulations to Adrian Griffin for becoming the Milwaukee Bucks new head basketball coach. The Southeastern Conference, a conference that's near and dear to my heart considering the fact that I have grown up in the South, and I still currently reside in the South. So the Southeastern Conference has been a fixture in my life for each of the 22 years that I've been on this earth. So they're meeting this week in Miramar Beach, Florida, to discuss something that has been on the minds of every SEC fan, every college football fan, ever since it was announced that Texas and Oklahoma would be leaving the Big 12 to join the SEC in 2024, a.k.a. next year. Now, one of the discussions that has been had over the course of this entire fiasco is that what will happen to the schedule in the Southeastern Conference now that Oklahoma and Texas will be joining? And there's been two different formats that have been put into play here if you're the SEC. So you have the nine-game conference schedule and you have the eight-game conference schedule. The nine-game schedule reads out as follows. You have three permanent rivals and you have six rotating opponents. The eighth-game format, one permanent rival and seven rotating opponents. Now, the ninth for the longest was the one that was gaining the most traction in the SEC. But of course, nothing can become official in the SEC until it's approved by the man that happens to be the head football coach at the University of Alabama, Nick Saban. Now, Nick Saban in recent weeks has started to backtrack on his initial 
stance on the nine game schedule. And now he's not totally in favor of it anymore. But this is interesting because if we go back to 2012, when Texas A&M and Missouri joined the SEC, Nick Saban went on record and talked about what needed to be done now that you're adding two more teams to the SEC. And this is what he had to say back in 2012. And I quote, when you increase the size of the league by 15%, you've almost got to play more games to get a true indication of who's the best team in the league. We should come up with some with some format in the future where every player in the league gets an opportunity to play every team in the league. We kind of had that in the past. This format won't necessarily give every player an opportunity to do that. End the quote. Now, if you think about it, we're talking about something that we're prematurely exposing ourselves to. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. First of all, nobody knows how the SEC is going to be formatted now that Texas and OU will be joining. Because one of the things that you have to take into consideration is that will Texas and Oklahoma automatically become part of the SEC West or will you split them up and one team becomes a part of the East and the other one is the West? Now, I told you how you can solve that problem immediately. Alabama pushing East will make up the SEC East. Mississippi pushing West will will compromise or Mississippi pushing West will become the SEC West. That's the way you solve that problem. Because then you have a bevy of great teams in the West and then you have Alabama and Georgia, the two best teams that makes up the SEC East. Now, the reason why Nick Saban has been opposed to this nine-game format is because he wasn't excited about the three primary rivals that Alabama would have to face on a yearly basis. And this is what he told SI back in March. And I quote, I've always been an advocate for playing more games, but if you play more games, I think you have to get the three fixed right. They're giving us Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU. I don't know how they come to that. So Nick, let me ask you something. Tennessee, the third Saturday in October, that's one of the biggest rivalry games, just not in the SEC, but in the entire college football sphere. Auburn, the Iron Bowl, which is played in November. That's not a big game to you? That's not a rivalry game? That's not a game that people get together and have parties for? I think it is. And LSU, traditionally, Alabama gets a bye week before they play LSU. And considering the fact that LSU and Alabama have a little bit of history, not just because of the great games that they've played in the past decade, but because Nick Saban was the head coach at LSU, won a national championship. We talked about that in an episode of What If. Now Nick Saban doesn't like the fact that he's playing, or that Alabama rather, is playing their three biggest rivals. For what? Nick, come on. Alabama and Tennessee. Everybody in the Southeastern Conference knows that that's one of the biggest rivalries in the conference. The Iron Bowl. Do I have to say anything else? Last year alone, you guys remember last year's Iron Bowl? That game kept you on the edge of your seat. What did that? That game went to what? Four overtimes. 
and ten, uh, we already talked about Tennessee and LSU. LSU will always play Alabama the hardest. Even when they're not ranked, even when they're having a down year, LSU will always give Alabama everything that they got. So, Brandon Marcello, who did a great job writing this piece for 24-7 Sports, this is what he said about the perception of these formats in the SEC. Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and South Carolina, they all oppose the nine-game schedule. On the flip side, Auburn, Tennessee, and Ole Miss, they remain undecided. So the eighth game or the nine-game schedule, neither one of those fits what either one of those schools are looking for. And Vanderbilt, they haven't been public about which format they like anyway, so we don't even know where Vanderbilt is leaning as it pertains to this new format. So all I have to say is this. If you ask me which format I like, I like the nine-game model. Three primary rivals and six rotating opponents. I like that. Because let's just say for the sake of argument, if you look at this, let's just use Alabama for an example since we're already talking about them. Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee would be their three primary rivals. And that way, in two seasons, they've played every team in the SEC. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Saban wanted every player in the league to play against every team in the league. And now, if you approve that nine-game model, that will become the norm in the SEC. I think it's a pretty good fit. But before we can really dive deeper into that, we first have to decide how will the SEC be formatted as a conference overall now that you're bringing in Texas and OU. I've already told you the way I would do it, but now we will have to see how will the administrators and how will the coaches feel about what needs to happen as it pertains to divisional shakeups? Or, this is another thought. Does the SEC get rid of divisions altogether? Because that's another thought. Do you become like the ACC where you get rid of division? And the two top teams in the conference battle it out in the championship game. So in the ACC, everybody who's been waiting to see a Clemson-Florida State ACC championship game may get their wish this year. Can you do that in the SEC? You would have to potentially change tiebreaker, tiebreaker rules. All of those different things that have to be changed if you go that route. So it's very, very interesting times if you're the Southeastern Conference because Who knows which direction this is going? But hopefully by the end of the week, when the SEC spring meetings are over, we have some kind of idea as to where things are going and how things have shaped up heading into 2024 and beyond. 
Jason Kelsey has been doing a lot of talking as of late. He and his brother on their New Heights podcast. And recently, they talked about how they feel about Thursday Night Football. Now, we talked about Thursday Night Football last week. And I told you about how the owners approved of this new flexing thing to where teams can be flexed into Thursday Night Football to generate better matchups for people to watch on Amazon Prime. It drew a lot of backlash from fans and from particular owners and coaches because they felt like the NFL is not taking into account player safety. So this is what Jason Kelsey had to say about that on his New Heights podcast that he hosts with his brother Travis. And I quote, I'm all for games being played on Thursdays because that means we have walkthroughs during the middle of the week and we don't practice and then we get three days off after the game. He then later went on to say, and I quote, it's not about laziness. It's about helping my legs recover and getting fresh. Players that are anti-Thursday night games are just looking to make headlines. There's no fucking chance anybody with half a brain cell is against Thursday night games. End the quote. I don't think people are just generically opposed to Thursday night games. But considering the fact what we were subjected to last season when it pertained to Thursday night, I think that that's what made a lot of people sour over Thursday night as a whole. Just think about this. NFL players don't understand being subjected to having to pay for Amazon Prime and then having BS matchups placed in front of us. And you know Thursday night football had to get bad when Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit were up there in the booth getting bored. I have no problem with Thursday night football. As a matter of fact, it's a great way to start off the weekend. Because especially when you think about football in a nutshell, you got Thursday night football, then you may have some college games that come on Friday. Saturday is full of college football. The entire day is college football. And Sunday and Monday are NFL. That's a great weekend. And matter of fact, I can't wait for football right now. I wish football would start tomorrow. I know the USFL and all those different leagues are on right now, but they just don't have the same feel like the NFL and like college. That's just my personal take on that. But one of the things I will say about Jason Kelsey and the comments that he made is that it's easy to be in favor of Thursday night games now. But knock on wood, let me find. Knock on wood. It's easy for him to say that he likes Thursday night games right now. But what happens when the Eagles play on Thursday night football and one of their star players get hurt? That's a whole nother conversation entirely. Because let's just say, now I don't even want to say this, but just bear with me. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Jalen Hurts gets injured, Devontae Smith gets injured, A.J. Brown, one of your running backs gets injured, or whoever. If one of your players get injured, then I think your tune will change quickly as it pertains to playing games on Thursday night. So me personally, I have no problem with it. My only gripe is that we need better matchups. That's one of the reasons why I was in favor of of the NFL deciding to flex games so that you can get better matchups. 
So we'll see how it works out. That starts in week 13, the flex schedule of Thursday night games. I told you that we were going to talk about Derek Carr and we're going to talk about the Raiders again. So John Gruden is back in the NFL. He may not be back as a head coach, but he was back last week. According to the Times-Picayune, the article was written by Jeff Duncan. And basically, let me break this down about John Gruden coming back to the NFL. John Gruden came back to the NFL to help the New Orleans Saints develop an offense for Derek Carr. Now, Derek Carr, since he's been a member of the Saints, he's talked about how rejuvenated he feels He says that he's thankful for the opportunity to finally go somewhere else and prove that he can still be a capable start in the league. So you bring in John Gruden to help the Saints set up an offense that Carr's familiarized himself with. So why is this important? Why is John Gruden going to New Orleans to help Derek Carr and the coaching staff set up a offense? Why is that so important? Because... When Derek Carr worked with John Gruden from 2018 to 2021, Derek Carr had a passer rating of 97.1 over that span, and he had a completion percentage of 70.4% over that span, which basically means that when John Gruden became the head coach, Derek Carr's play improved immensely. So what better person to bring in to help formulate an offense for Derek Carr than the coach in which he had some of his best moments under. Now, we all knew that John Gruden wasn't that big of a fan of Derek Carr. But sometimes you put aside whatever gripe you have with someone, and if it works out for the better of both of you guys, then what's the point? Or what's the gripe? So it's going to be a West Coast offense the same kind of offense that Sean Payton installed when he became the Saints head coach back in 2006. And to add a little bit more history to this conversation, John Gruden and Sean Payton were on the Eagles staff together in 1997 under Ray Rhodes, who's the head coach. John Gruden was the offensive coordinator and Sean Payton was the quarterback's coach. Sean, John Gruden rather hasn't coached since October of 2021 when he resigned from the Las Vegas Raiders due in large part to emails that were reported or in he was he resigned from the Raider job because there were emails that were leaked or whatever that may have you that pretty much portrayed John Gruden in a very negative light racist things, misogynistic things, homophobic things. You've seen the emails. We've talked about it. So I don't really see that as a bad thing. I actually see it as a positive because anything that can help Derek Carr familiarize himself with the offense and with the team is a step in the right direction because the Saints for a while now has been looking for better play at the quarterback position. And by bringing in John Gruden, if he can help reinvigorate that spark into Derek Carr's career, and I'm all for it. All right, it is that time for Unpopular Opinions. Yes, it does make its dramatic return 
to sports court today on Memorial Day of all days. So Le'Veon Bell, it's been a while since we've talked about Le'Veon Bell. And matter of fact, I'll say this, honestly, I don't think we've talked about Le'Veon Bell on podcasts, but that changes today. So Le'Veon Bell has been out of the NFL now for almost two years. And he recently did a podcast called Still Here, in which he talked about the way things ended for him in Pittsburgh and how he would like to finish his career off in Pittsburgh before he retires. And this is what he had to say about the whole contract situation, which ultimately costed him a season in which he decided to sit out and vice versa when he went on to join the Jets. And that didn't work out, and he went on to play for it. You get what I'm saying. Let me read to you what he said on the Still Here podcast. And I quote, I didn't want to leave Pittsburgh because, at the end of the day, that's where I was at. That's where I got drafted. Especially after going to different teams and seeing how it is, it's like when the team has their guy, you're their guy. I was a Pittsburgh guy, or I was Pittsburgh's guy. Then he went on to get into the contract dispute that he had with the Steelers. Now, according to Le'Veon Bell in that podcast, the only thing that he wanted guaranteed was the first year. But the Steelers and that situation, it didn't work out the way in which Le'Veon Bell wanted it to. And this is what he had to say about that. Yeah, it was a little petty. The little guarantee stuff. He only wanted the first year guaranteed. The Steelers had other plans and it just didn't work out. And this is what he had to say finally about going to Pittsburgh to retire. And I quote, I'm going to try to retire with Pittsburgh. But before I do that, I might be like, hey, bro, let me get a couple of carries in the po- in the preseason so I can show y'all. End of quote. So Le'Veon Bell during his time as a Steeler had... Over 5,300 rushing yards with 35 rushing touchdowns. He also added 312 receptions for over 2,600 yards and seven touchdowns. And at one point, honestly, if we're having a very honest conversation, at one point in time, Le'Veon Bell was making an argument for being one of the best running backs in the NFL. Then he decided to sit out for a year because he wanted a long-term deal. The Steelers then decided, you know what, we're not going to franchise you franchise tag you in the second year so you can go out and explore free agency eventually ended up signing with the Jets on a four-year 52.5 million dollar deal we all remember that that did not work out he was released in October 2020 and then he had short stints with the Chiefs Ravens and Buccaneers so the unpopular opinion that I have today and if you're a Steeler fan considering how it worked out up there I think you may not say that this is an unpopular opinion, but the Steelers should stay away from Le'Veon Bell. I get that he wants to retire as a Steeler, but at the same time, you also had a chance to remain with them if you didn't let your ego get in the way. Now, of course, all players feel that they should be entitled to the money that they deserve, the money that they rightfully played themselves into. But at the same time, if you're someone like Le'Veon Bell, We already know that the running back market usually doesn't generate the type of money that the quarterback market does. Because with a quarterback, they can play up until they're 40. 
running backs start to deteriorate in their 30s, sometimes even sooner than that. And the Steelers were looking out for what their best interest was and what the team's overall best interest was by trying to sign other guys and by trying to make cap room so that some of the rookies and some of the first and second year guys, by the time their contracts came up, they could pay those guys. So to me, in all honesty, the Steelers should stay away from Le'Veon Bell. You had your chance. Now that you've had time to go do a lot of self-reflection, you've come back to the table and basically said, you know, I know that things didn't work out and it was partly my fault. Now, it's great that he's taken ownership for the role that he played and why that relationship fizzled out. But at the same time, as the phrase go, it's too little too late. Because the Steelers have a great back in Najee Harris. And one of the things that we can say about Pittsburgh over these past couple of years is that they know how to draft and they know how to bring in quality productivity on both sides of the ball. Now, if they were to do something with kicker, that would also be a different conversation because Chris Boswell, to me, is a little bit too hit and miss. But anyway, I feel that the Steelers should stay far away from Le'Veon Bell and continue to trend upward with what they have already on the roster. And with that, it is time for final verdict on a Monday. So this was reported on... Friday by ESPN, but it really gained traction over the weekend. So according to ESPN, the NBA has opened an investigation into Eric Lewis, who's one of their longtime referees, for his alleged use of a Twitter burner account to respond to fans about officiating. Now, the reason why this is such a big deal is because the NBA has a very strict policy about officials speaking out about officiating without proper approval from the league. Basically, like when an NFL game ends and there's some controversy surrounding a call, referees will get NFL permission to come out and speak about why they decided to make or not make a certain call. And according to this NBA report or this NBA investigation, Eric Lewis went to a burner account and decided not to get authorization from the league before defending the actions of the referee. Now, according to the report, the account has been deleted and the name that was used for the account was Blair Cutliffe. And the handle was Cutliffe Blair. So here's the thing. Eric Lewis has been in the NBA for 19 seasons. He's refereed or officiated over 1,100 regular season games and 82 playoff games. He's been one of the highest ranked officials in recent years, and he has worked six NBA Finals games since 2019. And the last time he was out there on the court working as an official was game number one of the Western Conference Final back on May 16th between the Nugs and the Lakers. If you're the NBA, please tell me that you have other things that you could be doing besides investigating a referee for using a burner account to defend himself and other officials because of the job that they do. Please tell me that. There are other things, there are bigger fish to fry than a referee 
using a burner account to respond to controversy about officiating. I get it. That's the policy. That these officials should not talk about this stuff without proper NBA approval or authorization. I get it. But also, I mean, I understand that you're going after this guy to see if you can prove that it was him. But what difference will it make? It's not like you guys are going to eradicate bad officiating because that's still going to be around. Some people were even critical of the officiating in game six the other night between the Celtics and the Heat. And this isn't the first time that the NBA has had a problem with burner accounts. In 2018, the GM of the Sixers at the time, Brian Colangelo, he had to resign because he and his wife, they were linked to a burner account in which they were criticizing some of the players on the team. And then we all remember KD when he came out in 2020 and admitted that he used burner accounts when people are critical of the team that KD was on or his teammates. People use all sorts of burner accounts. There's nothing new and it's never going to go out of style. But man, if you are Eric Lewis and you're using burner accounts to pretty much get people off your back about officiating, then you know the NBA's policy as it pertains to this. So why would you put yourself in jeopardy of possibly facing a suspension and a fine to go out there and do what exactly? You're not going to please everybody because you're going to make some calls that's going to make some people happy and you're going to make some calls that's going to piss people off. At the end of the day, that's one of the things about life that we have to grapple with, that you won't be able to please everybody and everybody won't be happy with the things that you do. After a while, you can't, you can't, you can defend yourself, but sometimes you can't defend yourself from people who've already made up in their minds that officiating has costed their team a win or not. So we'll see what happens from there. But Eric Lewis is at the center of an NBA investigation about potentially using a burner account to defend himself and other officials from scrutiny from fans. Twitter sometimes can be a good thing and sometimes it can be a bad thing. But if it is true that Eric Lewis is behind this, for him, it's going to be something potentially that he may not want to use again. And that's going to conclude today's episode of Sports Court. Thank you for listening to this brand new episode. I know it felt like we rambled our way through this, but it's been a very long weekend. And I'm pretty sure a lot of other people out there can co-sign on that opinion it has been a very long weekend until wednesday have a great rest of your monday have a great rest of your memorial day weekend don't forget to rate the podcast don't forget to leave a review and don't forget to share the pod with family and friends as we continue to grow it's because of you that i'm allowed to continue to do this podcast and it's also because of you that i enjoy putting out this brand new content for you. Once again, until Wednesday, have a great rest of your Monday. Stay safe, take care, and have an amazing Tuesday, by the way, and God bless. 